Hey, my name is Jason, and you're listening to the Embrace Church Podcast. God is doing some incredible things at each one of our locations in South Dakota and Minnesota. To learn more about Embrace and maybe plan your visit, head on over to imembrace.com. We hope today's message brings you hope, inspires you, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive in to today's message. Hey, what's up, Embrace? Hope you guys are doing well today. I uh, just want to extend a welcome to anyone joining us online or at one of our network churches or one of our campuses. If I've not met you before, my name is Travis. I get to be our campus pastor for our Sertoma campus on the west side of Sioux Falls. Quick shout out, sub Sertoma. Um, glad that you guys are all here today to get to continue our This Letter Is For You message series. Man, I've loved this series where we've been able to study this letter in the Bible called Colossians. It's been fun to just kind of sit in the text, not have to rush through anything, but just allow the words to speak for themselves and allow us to kind of apply what God has for our lives. So I'm pumped to get to do that again today as we jump into Colossians chapter 3. But before we do that, I just wanted to give a quick disclaimer about the Bible. Um, see, the Bible, it was a, this was this book that was written thousands of years ago, and it was written over a period of 1,600 years by over 40 different authors. And those authors were very different from each other. They all had different jobs. They came from different backgrounds. They had different kind of social statuses. They varied from fishermen to doctors, kings to poor people, poets, teachers, um, you know, prophets, kind of everything in between. The book is filled with historical accounts, it's filled with prophecies and poems, and it's filled with letters, just like ours written to the Colossians. Now, given all that, have you ever wondered if you can actually trust this book? Right? Like, that's, that's a lot of, of, of years to have covered over this time. It's a lot of hands to have touched this book. A lot of people have claimed to have heard from God, these authors, right? How do we know that we can actually believe that this book is true? Well, one of the most compelling reasons to believe it is actually, uh, it was alluded to in week one of our series when our St. Croix campus pastor, Austin Walker, said that he was there when the internet was invented. He said to his kids, like, I know that you can be creative and go outside and have fun and survive without technology and online games. I was there when the internet was invented. That was a funny picture for me to think about because I'm not sure that I buy that Austin was there when the internet was actually invented. Um, but but I, I am sure that he was there when the public started using it regularly. So that was a powerful first-hand account that Austin gave to his kids in week one of the series. It would be worth checking out that message just to hear that story again if you missed it. Um, but that's, that's part of the reason why we can trust this book, right? Because, because some of the events in the New Testament, they actually were written about why some of the people who experienced them firsthand were still alive. Some of the events in the New Testament were recorded as early as 30 years after they happened. Meaning that, meaning that if, if a claim in the book was bogus, if it wasn't true, the people who were alive when it happened, they could just say so. Right? Let me, let me give you an example. Let's say somebody wrote a book today about how the Vikings won the Super Bowl 30 years ago in 1989. Right? All of us who are older than the age of 30, we could say, well, that's not true. Not only are the Vikings historically bad at football in general, I was alive in 1989, I watched that Super Bowl, and the Vikings didn't play in it. Nobody would pass along a book like that as truth. That would go in the fantasy section at the bookstore. Sorry, Vikings fans. So that's how we we can know that the book was true when it was written, but how do we know that it's still accurate today? 
How do we know that somebody didn't change the events or the stories along the ways? Again, that's, that's nearly 2,000 years. It's a lot of time to have covered. Well, thankfully, we have these things. They're called manuscripts. Manuscripts are handwritten copies of the original text. And for the New Testament alone, we have over 24,000 of these handwritten copies. Again, originals from nearly 2,000 years ago. So no, nobody, nobody is changing any of these documents. These are handwritten, static documents. No changes allowed. Right? Nobody, nobody's hitting the delete key on these documents. Nobody's clicking that edit comment button on Facebook. Again, they're static documents. It's, I almost picture it like kind of rooting through the dresser drawers and closets of your grandmother's house and then finding this, this old letter in this old envelope that's completely frozen in time. I like to think about it like it's been kept in this, this time capsule in some secret hidden place. Because in a lot of ways, like, that's exactly what it is. We have this true, accurate letter that is original to the time period, and it's, and it's for us. I hope this helps us to understand just how, how trustworthy this book is, how important and precious it is to us. So I'm excited to get to open it up. If you got um, this card on your way in today, feel free to pull that out right now. It says Colossians 3 on it. It has the text on the back of it. Here's what I want to do today. I want to do two things with this letter. The first thing is I want to briefly unpack the very first three verses of this chapter. Just kind of pick them apart, help us to understand them a bit more. How we're going to do that is actually outlined in the top right corner. It says that we're going to underline the things that stand out to us. We're going to put a question mark next to anything that doesn't make sense. So that's what we'll do first. And the second thing is where I want to spend the majority of our time on takeaways. Things that we can stars, things that we can bring home with us and actually apply to our lives. So we'll get started here. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now for me, I didn't get very far before underlining the very first word in this chapter, since. Some translations of this actually say if, not since. If you've been raised to a new life with Christ. And those words, they always jump out to me because, because they're, they're the start of like a, a conditional statement. That's what grammar people call them, these if-then statements. If this is true, then something else has to be true as well. Again, grammar people call them conditional statements. I'm obviously not one of them because I keep calling them grammar people. Um, but, so again, back to the verse. Since or if... You've been raised to a new life with Christ. Then, then, what are we supposed to do if we've been raised? We're to set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then verse 2, Paul continues the thought. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, the first part of this sentence, it seems relatively straightforward, right? Being raised to a new life with Christ, it just means that we've accepted Jesus as our Savior. We've accepted the offer that Jesus has for us. Our campus pastor at 57th Street, Brian, he unpacked last week what it means to accept the offer that Jesus has for us. But then, but then it says this. It says, if this has happened to you, if you've accepted this offer, then you're to set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, I put a question mark next to that, right? Because we live on earth. I'm not sure what it means to think about the realities of heaven. Like, we're, we're here, 
So we're going to explore that question when we look at our takeaways. But finally, the verse again, it finishes up by saying this in verse 3. It says, for, and underline that word for as well. That's another one of those conditional statements. For, in summation of, to sum things up. For, because all these things are true, you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now personally, I just love the way that Paul writes Okay, nothing, nothing is random about the way that he writes. Everything is tied together with a purpose. And these first three verses, they actually build this fascinating progression that we can literally build our lives around. Okay, and, and, and that's kind of the point, right? That, like, we're actually supposed to apply this stuff. Like, we, we've had this letter that was meticulously preserved for us for nearly 2,000 years. We're not just meant to know what it says. We're meant to do what it says, allow it to have an effect on our lives. So that, that brings us to our takeaways. And when I studied these verses, two, two things jumped out at me. Two things, two takeaways, things that I starred when I was studying this from the first few verses of this chapter. And takeaway number one, seek new stuff. Seek new stuff. And by that, I don't mean go out and buy a new car or a new boat. Not that type of seeking new stuff. That would be a weird thing to learn at church. Like, you need to go buy new and better stuff. I'm not saying that. That would be a really unhelpful thing for me to hear, too, because I already love buying new stuff. I just got a new leaf blower. Guys, it is amazing, okay? I've been blown away by how much I love it, <laughs> right? Because leaf blower, right? Okay, um, all right. <laughs> Dad jokes aside, here we go. Here's what I mean. Those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who have been raised to new life with Jesus, we need to start chasing new things. We need to start seeking new stuff. We need to set our lives on new priorities. As followers of Jesus, different stuff needs to become important to us. He's saying, he's saying, that's what I think he means when he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. He says that you used to be a person of this earth, right? And you, you used to be a person of the world, and you sought after and cared about the things that the world cares about, but you're not that person anymore right? You're new, and as a result of that, you need to seek new stuff. You need to chase new stuff now. You need to start focusing on more important things, things that will last, God things, heavenly things, things that will last, not cheap thrills, right? Not instant gratification, not these quick pleasures, but you need to set your, your sights on the stuff that matters, the realities of heaven. If you remember, I put a question mark next to that phrase when we originally read the text because I wasn't sure what the realities of heaven means. But as I, as I read on in Colossians chapter 3, I found something interesting in verse 12. And you can follow along again in verse 12. Verse 12 starts by saying this, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Now doesn't that sound really similar to verse 1? Again, verse 1, Since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, since God shows you to be the holy people he loves. It's very similar. It has that same since, that same if-then conditional statement in it. So it caught my attention. So reading the full verse, since or if God shows you to be the holy people he loves, then you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Since this was so similar to verse 1, like since and then seek the realities of heaven, I wondered if it was since and then maybe it lists the realities of heaven. I wondered to myself, could these be the realities of heaven? Kindness, gentleness, patience? 
Now, you might be thinking, like, these words are really common. I already know these words. I'm not sure that these could be the realities of heaven. They're just too normal of words. But, but let me ask you this, like, do they sound like the realities of earth? Right? Do we, do we experience a lot of people that are filled with tender-hearted mercy and kindness? Are our workplaces, are they just filled with people who are, who are gentle to each other all the time, humble, always looking out for the good of everyone else, not chasing their own gains, looking out for other people? Do you see a lot of patience in your world, in our world that's filled with, 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 with instant gratification and, and quick tempers, right? Do we see a lot of patience in our world? What about this one? I love this one. Make allowance for others' faults. Like actually advocating for the person who made the mistake, trying to restore that person, not piling on with everyone else. I don't know about you, but a reality that includes these things, that sounds a lot like heaven to me. That sounds a lot like something that I could get on board with. Like what, what if you and I, the people who've been made new with Christ, we started seeking new stuff, we started chasing tender-hearted mercy and kindness. Like, what would that do for our own souls, our own hearts, if that stuff became important to us? What if, what if when we woke up every morning, our goal was like, I'm just going to be really humble today. I'm going to be really gentle in my words and my actions. That could, that could transform the entire culture of our workplace. Just like, I'm just going to be gentle today. I'm going to be humble today. That could change everything. What about you and I? The, the people who are marked by being forgiven by God, even though we don't deserve it, what if, what if we were known by our forgiveness to other people? And I would just love to be a part of a reality like that. I would long for a reality where those things were true about us. Again, as a result of us being raised with Christ, we need to seek new stuff. We need to pursue mercy and kindness. We need to set our sights on humility and forgiveness and gentleness. This isn't the stuff that we should expect to get from other people. This is the stuff that we need to extend to other people. We've got this new life. We need to start seeking new stuff for that life. We need to start to let the changes that have happened in us affect everything about us. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Seek new stuff. That's our first takeaway. Our second takeaway is this. Stop being dead. Stop being dead. At face value, this seems kind of like an interesting, weird takeaway, but bear with me for a moment. Remember how Paul described people who have accepted Jesus in verse 1? He says that they've been raised with Christ. He's reminding us that Jesus has defeated death. And for those of us who believe that, we've defeated death as well. We've been raised with Christ as well. I picture like Jesus just reaching his hand down, just kind of grabbing our hand, lifting us up, pulling us up out of the crap of our old life, out of the death of our old life. Again, Paul, Paul sums up this thinking in verse 3. He says, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. He says you died to this life. Your old life it isn't your life anymore, right? It, it, the person you used to be is gone. You've now got this real life, and this real life is with Jesus in God. Real life. That's an important word, real. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a mistake before in your life? You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but have you ever did something that you regret, said something that you wish that you could take back? How about this? How about, how about a mistake that you made that just made you sick to your stomach? Something, something that you swore you would never do, but you did it anyway. 
or something that you swore you would never do again. I will never do that again. Yet you did it again. Being raised with Christ, it means that those mistakes are behind you. Those sins, they've been forgiven. You've been washed clean of those things. Those are with your old dead self. That's not who you are anymore. By the blood of Jesus on the cross, he's raised you up out of that life. That's not you anymore. Now let me ask you another question. What do you most often feel is your real life? Who do you often feel is the real you? Is it the one who's been forgiven? Is it the one who's been made new? Or is, or, is your, or is your real life filled with shame and with guilt? Is your real life always telling yourself, like, you don't deserve anything? Because of your past, because of your failures, because of your mistakes, you don't deserve anything. Because of what you did five years ago, or five months ago, or three months ago, or three weeks ago, or yesterday, or this morning, you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve love from anyone, let alone love from God. If you feel that way, you're still acting dead. Stop being dead. Again, Paul says, like, you, you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And then he, Paul, he piggybacks on this verse, verse 3, on in verse 5, with this powerful plea to all of us. I'll read it for us. Powerful plea. He says, so put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. Paul is saying that all of this stuff, this, this sexual immorality, evil desires, lust, all this stuff, it sucks. Stop doing it. It's the worst. But what he's, what he's also saying is that all these things, all these stuff that we chase, they're just big lies. Right? They don't do what they say they're going to. They, we think that we're going to get filled by these things. We think that they're, they're going to make us whole, that they're going to make us less lonely, that we're going to be happier, more fulfilled. If we, if we just do that one thing, if we just get that one thing, then we're, we're finally going to be happy. That thing is going to make us happy. But it's not true. It's not true. It's just a big lie. Right? I, I know this firsthand. Man, I chased all that stuff. They never do what they promise. I'm I was never more happy. I was never more fulfilled. I was never less lonely. Man, they're just big lies. But here's the good news. Paul isn't listing all of these things to shame us. Praise God, we're probably doing a good enough job of that on our own. No, he's listing all of these things to remind us that it's not who we are anymore. Praise God, it's not who we are. He says, you used to do these things when you were a part of this world. You're not a part of this world anymore. You've been raised with Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Put all those evil desires to death. Leave them back with your old dead body. They're not who you are anymore. Those things are dead, but if you don't believe that you're de they're dead and you continue to live in them, well, they're going to bring death to you again. Stop being dead. Your real life is with Christ. You're forgiven. Jesus loves you. Stop spending your time doing the stuff that you used to do when you're dead. Stop living in shame, okay? Jesus cares for you. He loves you. He wants to be with you. That's your real life. And takeaway number two, stop being dead and believe the truth that you've been raised with Jesus. You used to be dead. You're not dead anymore. Okay, so those are our, those are our two takeaways 
for today. I wish that we could cover more. I wish we had more time to cover more. Colossians chapter 3 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. My wife Jessie and I, our wedding verse is from Colossians chapter 3. We didn't even get to cover any of that. It's probably a good thing we didn't get to dive too much into our wedding because then I'd have to show you all my wedding slideshow and everybody would walk out of here with brown-eyed girls stuck in their head and it'd just be, it'd just be bad. My wife was a very cute brown-eyed girl though. Um, but I'm not going to play the slideshow, but I do want to close with something else relating to my wedding. See, Jesse and I, we got married in October of 2010 in Sioux Falls. But if you don't believe me, you can ask any one of the hundreds of friends and family that attended our wedding. They would be more than happy to give you a first-hand account of the day's events. They could tell you that at the beginning of the day, I was really nervous. They could tell you that, that when Jesse walked down the aisle, she looked like an angel. She was so beautiful and graceful. It was like her feet weren't even touching the ground. They could tell you that when we exchanged our rings, instead of saying, uh, with this ring, I thee wed, I said, with this wing, I we wed. It was really embarrassing. (laughs) They could tell you that we, we committed ourselves to spending our lives together, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, until we're parted by death. And then we said, I do. And then we got married. But if you don't, well, one thing, they, they couldn't tell you what happened that night, though. You know what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> but, if, but if you don't believe these first-hand accounts, we actually, we actually have documentation as well. The state of South Dakota sent us a copy of our marriage certificate. I, I could have a tangible proof in my hand. I could show you that Jesse and I are married. Those are all really wonderful reasons to believe that we're married. But for Jesse and I, those are not the most compelling reasons why we want you to believe that we're married. Okay, we we want you to know that we've committed to spending our lives together because you see and experience us spending our lives together. When you're with Jesse and I, we want you to feel like we're married by the way that I look at her, by the way she reaches out for my hand, by the way that I love and honor and care for her, by the way she, she respects me and loves me. We want you to feel that we're married. I'm not sharing all this to make you think that Jesse and I have the perfect marriage. That's certainly not true. But, but our hope and our prayer for our marriage is that the most compelling reason to believe that we're married is not because of firsthand accounts and not because of documentation, but rather because you can see in us that we used to be two people and now we're one person, that we've been made new. We're different now that we are married. And the same thing is true about this book. Same thing is true about the Word of God. First-hand accounts, a mountain of of manuscript, 24,000 manuscript evidence pieces for us. Those are really good reasons to believe that the Bible is true, but they're not the most compelling. The most compelling reason to believe that we can trust this book is because for those of us who read it, those of us who study it, those of us who actually do what it says, we're different We're different. We're changed. We're transformed by the words in this book, by the power of God. Think about our takeaways. What if if we actually did seek new stuff? What if we actually did focus on mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness? We'd be so different. We'd stand out. People would be like, "What what is different about you? You've been made really changed, like you're new. What if we actually stopped being dead and we believe the truth that we've been raised to this new life with Jesus, that our old self is gone, that we don't have to live in our our sins, our mistakes, our failures anymore. That stuff doesn't have to be true about our lives. The, The power of Jesus raised us up out of that. We would feel that difference. 
People would see that difference in us. That would be the proof. That would be the most compelling reason. All of us, you, you and I who follow Jesus, we are the most compelling reason to believe that this book is true. But if you don't believe me, man, all you have to do is read it. Read it. Study it. Learn what it says and then do what it says. And you can see firsthand what it does for your life. Watch God transform you in the most amazing ways possible. It would be incredible. Open up this book and read it. That is the most compelling reason why we can trust that this is true for our lives. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you didn't just leave us to figure out all this stuff on our own. God, first, first you did that with, with, with Jesus, where you, you weren't content just staying away from us, right? You wanted to come down and be with us, but then, then you left us with this true book for our lives that we can read your words for us. So God, my prayer is that when we actually open it, God, that we would have time to open it, and when we do, that you would make your words come alive to us that we would be filled with so much joy because of these words, that we would have so much direction because of your words for our lives, that we would have so much fulfillment, so much hope, God, because of these words, that they would be true for us, not, not because we can prove it, but because we can feel it. God, help us to look for new stuff with our lives. Help us to remember that, that the old self isn't us anymore. Help us to remember that we've been forgiven, and because of that, we don't have to live in shame anymore. God, remind us of those things and remind us through your word. Remind us through your people. You're such a good God. You've given us so many ways to know that you love us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message moved you in any way, be sure to subscribe to the podcast to never miss your dose of encouragement. You can also follow us on social media with the handle at I am Embrace. Again, we are thrilled you took the time to join us today. And if you live anywhere near one of our locations in South Dakota and Minnesota, we would love to have you join us in person. You can find out more and start a conversation at IamEmbrace.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.